Hey, you are tuned into the Bold Church podcast. My name is Yasmin Ruhi. I am one of the lead pastors here. We're so excited that you can join us for today's talk. We hope it blesses you. We hope it encourages you. And if you find it useful, go ahead and send it to someone else whose day you can bless. If you want to join us, we meet live every Sunday morning. If you want to find out our times or where we're meeting, head to our website at bold.church or head to our Instagram at boldchurch. SV. Thank you so much and enjoy today's talk. Good morning, good morning. Who's excited for church? Come on. It's 11 a.m. and we're in week six of the NFL season. You should be a little bit more excited. Uh, if we have not met, my name is Ali, my beautiful wife and I. We started this place called Bold Church five years ago with a dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians can come and grow in their faith, but listen, unchurched people, people who are new to church, people who are nervous the first time, because we, we understand what that feels like to come to church for the very first time and be scared and nervous. We wanted to create a place where not only could you grow, but you could explore. Not only a place where you can be challenged, but you can bring your doubts and your questions. And uh, before we begin, I just got to give you some housekeeping. Uh, this room, because we are a portable church, it, it, they are using this room as a voting booth on November 6th. And so instead of canceling church, what we've decided, we called several churches, church plants, and said, hey, what would happen? What would it look like if four or five churches gathered together for a worship night? And they're down. And so on November 6th at Del Mar High School, more details will come out. We are gathering four or five churches. Imagine the worship team that's going to come play that night. Uh, we did this six months ago. And not, not, let me say, let me rephrase that. Our worship team is amazing. Can we get up for them? I'm not trying to put anyone down. I'm just saying it's going to be even more amazing. It's like taking pre-workout. Um, so you don't want to miss that night. And, and, and t- today is week three of a collection of talks called We Are Bold. Because bold is not where you go. It's who, it's who you are. And, and let me just remind some of you that are new in the room. We spent two years and four months at the Hotel Valencia at Santana Row. We, you can get Jesus and Gucci on the same day. It was a good church. And then COVID happened. And then, and then the restrictions. And we did church online for 60 weeks. And then we did church at 5 o'clock for 18 months. And so many people have forgotten our why as a church. Why do we do the way things that we do? And this is a reset for everyone in the room. What's our why as a church? And every week we are going through our core values. And today I'm, I'm letting you know, I'm going to challenge some of you today. Some of you at a new church, your booty's going to be like, mm, you're going to be uncomfortable. Welcome to Center Set. You're going to get Jesus and a workout in the same day. You're welcome. Uh, but if our, our theme around today is really just this. What you value determines what you do. Our core values are like a compass. They give us direction. Why do we do the things that we do? Our core values aren't just things on the wall. Listen, they're things in our heart. Uh, are you guys ready for today's word? 1 John 1, uh, 1 John 1, chapter 5, it says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know that we Love God's children if we obey God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those, go back, only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Uh, this is the value that which all of our other values are hang on. This is the value of values. Uh, all of our other values are good, but this is the one. If we only had to choose one, this would be it. And it's this on the screen. Jesus is our joy. We're not a social club. We're a resurrection club. We don't believe that he's a good teacher or a prophet. He's God in the flesh. And everything that we do is centered, based, in worship of him. Y'all ready to be challenged, inspired, and encouraged. Amen? You guys, bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me pray before we begin. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in this faith community. God, we, we value you. We, we love you. We worship you, Jesus. You're, you're not just a teacher. You're our Savior. Not, you're not just our friend. You're our Lord. And God, we walked in one way, but we want to walk out another. God, we want to walk more like you. We want to talk more like you. We want to love more like you, Jesus. Help us do that this morning, Jesus. Don't just give us information, God. Give us transformation. Allow us to be different. Let us walk out here talking more like you, loving more like you. And if you believe that, everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Amen. And one of our traditions before we begin, we a little rowdy before. Can we give Jesus a round of applause? In 1995, a book was written, one of the best Christian books ever by a man by the name of Dr. Gary Chapman. It's called The Five Love Languages. If you're in a relationship or you want to be in a relationship or you just want all of your relationships that you have existing to be better, this is the book you want to read. And the theme of this book is that everyone gives and receives loves in these five different ways. And what's so challenging about this book is that everyone in this room has their love language and they feel loved when they're loved that way. And often the, the tension that we have in our relationships is that we project our love on others, not wondering why they don't feel loved. And if you want to take notes, some of these, the, the first one is gifts. That some of you, you love when there's an extra zero on the end of that gift. Your heart skips a beat when it's a little bit more expensive. And it's really the love language doesn't talk about how expensive the gift is, but you, you feel most loved when you open up presents. Second gift is quality time, and you love that one-on-one -on -one time with your spouse or your friend, and you, you love that intimacy, the, not in a crowd, but when it's one-on-one. -on -one. And the third one is acts of service. Clean my car, do my laundry, then I'll feel loved. And then the fourth one is words of affirmation. I don't feel it until you tell me I'm amazing. Verbalize your love for me. And the last one is... Um, Physical touch. And I've taken this test multiple times, and my number one is physical touch. My number two is words of affirmation, and number three is physical touch. Touch me, tell me you love me, and touch me again, baby. That's how that's, I'm an easy person to love. And what was so challenging in my relationship with Pastor Yaz is I would touch her, but I literally think she's allergic to physical touch. And I, I try to love her. I'm like, honey, and we get in these verbal arguments. Like some people call them fights. I, I call them we're disagreements. And right afterwards, I'm like, honey, let's make out. That's how I feel closer to you. And she's like, ugh, get away from me. Right? And I didn't understand. I'm like, this is how I feel loved. She's like, that's not how I feel loved. And I had to study her, learn about her. And my relationship improved when I realized her love language literally is um, gifts and quality time. And the challenge for me is quality time because we work together. It's not Pastor Ali. It's Pastor Ali and Pastor Yasmin. Anybody grateful for Pastor Yasmin? Come on, can we give her honor? She's awesome. Anything about this church that you like, you can give her credit. I'm okay with it. But imagine there'd be days where we're in meetings for two or three hours. I'm in the house. She's working in the other room for three or four. Then I have to go pick up the kids, come home, and we're with the kids for four more hours before they go to bed. And you know, husbands know this. Your wife kind of gives you the cold shoulder. You're like, honey, 
Like you can tell something's wrong, but she won't say it, so you have to ask. And, honey, what's wrong? She's like, ugh. We don't spend any time together. It's like, what? I just spent eight hours working with you, spent three hours with the kids. I don't have any more time to give you. And what she's saying is just because you're present doesn't mean that you're engaged. Just because you have give someone quality time doesn't mean it's, it's it, the quantity doesn't mean it's quality. And I love that our God loves engaged worshipers. You can be in the house of God every single week, but are you raising your hands? Are you engaged in community? And uh, my relationship got even better when I realized Pastor Yasmin loves gifts. And although the book, Five Love Languages, doesn't really talk about how expensive the gift is, although I'll say she does love expensive gifts. And the reason why I know this is around our one-year anniversary, I got her a purse. And listen, I could put on ESPN every night for like three months straight. And dun, 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 you know what I'm talking about, fellas? Rerun after rerun. And she's like, oh, my God, I love this person. I was in the grace zone. And uh, our relationship improved when I didn't give her what I wanted. Listen, I gave her what she wanted. And the challenge is, what is God's love language? If God's a person, if Christianity is a relationship with the living God, and he's real, and you talk to him, and he talks to you, that means he has a love language. What, how does Jesus feel loved? And the challenge that so many Christians have is that we, in the same way that we have tension in our relationships with our spouse and our friends, we often tend to give love the way that we want to receive love. But what, how does Jesus feel most loved? And this is the context, this is the theme, and this is the, the, the idea of 1 John chapter 5. And the, 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 book, the Gospel of John is written by John, self-titled book. And he wrote five of the books in the New Testament. This man spent three years with Jesus. He wrote 20% of the New Testament. He's the youngest of the 12 apostles. And what's so crazy about the Gospel of John is that he never self-identifies himself. Five times when he references himself, he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I wonder how many of you in this room, what's your title? How do you introduce yourself? Are you CEO? Are you the techie? Are you the person with the PhD or the master's? Or I run this business? Or is it the one whom Jesus loved? And so often that we, 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 we build our identity, our value, our worth based on what we have done, not what Jesus has done for us. And I love that the theme of all five of John's books are this idea that God loves us with this radical love. And the theme of 1 John chapter 5 is this, this idea that if he's given us this radical love, what's our reasonable response? How do we love God in a way that allows him to feel that love in a way that he receives it? Because we, we often want to give the love that, that w- the way that we receive it. But what's God's love language? And it, 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 it begins like this. And for everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. And I love that it, it says that everyone who believes, it doesn't say everyone who works, everyone who feeds the homeless, everyone who does good works. And so often I, I came out of Islam and so often you have to do good things so that one day God will love you and accept you. In Christianity, Jesus does all the work. And it's not something you achieve, it's something that you receive. Anybody thankful for Jesus doing all the work? But then it says the Christ. Someone shout the Christ. For those of you in this room, this is a, a, some of you have been Christian for 30 days. Some of you have been Christian for 30 years. Christ is not his last name, by the way. It's not like Jesus goes to a restaurant. It's like, excuse me, table for due, Mr. Christ. 
That's never going to happen. Well, we got to understand in the first century, there were no last names. How would you identify someone who had the same name as you? By their city or their dad. That's why Jesus was often called Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus, son of Joseph. And if, if I was born in the first century, it would be Ali, Silicon Valley, born and raised on the playground and playing Nintendo is where he spent most of his days. And it, your, your name would be associated with your city. This is not his last name. Christ means Messiah. Christ means Savior. Jesus means the anointed one, which means this is the anointed Messiah or the anointed Savior. If I were to go around this room and ask you what's your biggest problem in life, some of you say, oh, it's, it's my marriage. Oh, my gosh, Pastor Ali, it's inflation. It's just cutting into my salary. Or you say, you know what, Pastor Ali, I have this addiction. I can't tell people. You, Pastor Ali, my mom and dad, they don't get along. Every Christmas and Thanksgiving, there's so much tension and drama. That's my greatest problem. And if we ask God the same question, he would not give us the same answer. God's solution is revealed by who he sends to fix our greatest problem. Our greatest problem is not money, which is why it's not Jesus the economist. Our greatest problem is not mental health. That's why it's not Jesus the psychiatrist. Our greatest problem is not the environment. It's not Jesus the environmentalist. Our greatest problem is sin, which is why God sent a savior because we need saving. Amen? And the idea is not that you have problems. The problem is you are the problem. Religion said evil's out there. Christianity says evil's right here. Some people come to Christianity think it's behavior modification, moralism. Like you, bad people become good. God doesn't care about your behavior. He cares about your heart and that you are spiritually dead apart from him. He's in the resurrection business. He makes dead people come alive, not bad people become good. And what's so crazy about the cross is that it's this free gift for everyone. But you have to have a need for Jesus before you receive Jesus. You have to know that you're hungry before you want food. You have to have a need for water before you want water. Listen, you have to have a need for a Savior when you know you're a sinner. Most people don't know that they're a sinner. I wrote it down like this. Here's the heartbreaking thing about our culture, that many people today walk around this earth having no idea they are headed for destruction. Uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that appears right, but in the end leads to, to death. If you study the Titanic, the historians will tell us that they were playing music on the deck of the Titanic until the very last moment. They didn't believe it was going to sink. They actually labeled the Titanic the boat that God can't sink. And they were playing music until the very end. Headed to destruction. What a picture of us spiritually that the music's playing and we're dancing to destruction. But just knowing that I'm a savior doesn't mean I love Jesus. Why is Jesus my joy? Why do I worship him? Why do I love him? I wrote down like this. It's not an awareness that I'm a sinner that leads me to worship. It's an awareness that I'm forgiven. That's why I love him. Because he doesn't love me because I'm good. He doesn't love me because I come to church. He loved me when I was in the club. He loved me in my addiction. He loved me in my anger. He loved me in my porn. He, this church is filled with a bunch of misfits, a bunch of broken people who are loved by an amazing God. Can we just give Jesus a round of applause? That's why he's our joy. Hey, turn to your next neighbor and say, you're ratchet. But you're loved by God. Now turn to your other neighbor that you forsaked in church for some reason. You abandon them. God doesn't abandon you. 
But that still doesn't answer the question. What is God's love language? The Apostle John, the, the one who identifies himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Look at his answer. He says, this is how we know that we are, we love, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commandments. Is God's love language, physical touch? Is it words of affirmation? Is it quality times? Is it gifts? Is it, is it acts of service? It's so simple. His love language is obedience. Any husbands in here whose spouse loves avocado toast? We need to form a group. Our paycheck is getting smaller and smaller with a $1 avocado that they put on a piece of bread. I'm not complaining. I'm not bitter or anything. But my, our favorite coffee shop that my wife and I love to go to is Voyager here on Stevens Creek. It's amazing. For some god-awful reason, it's $9. And if you go to the Another place that we love to go to, Bloom or Breakfast Club, it's 16. Oh my gosh, my heart. So good. One time we were in Napa at this bougie restaurant. It was $26. Excuse me while I sit down and hyperventilate. What? But I can't choose what my wife loves. I have to serve her what she wants. God has avocado toast. You can't choose what he wants. He wants obedience. That's his avocado toast. That's what makes him feel loved. And th that's the challenge of obedience. I wrote down like this. Obedience is not something you like. Sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes it's not something you agree with. Sometimes you do obedience and it doesn't benefit you. Sometimes it's not easy. And sometimes God will ask you to do three things and you choose two. And you're like, God, I'm awesome. I did two out of three. He goes, you're totally rebellious. Because <laughs> with Jesus, it's all or nothing. And I wrote down obedience like this. You don't understand obedience until you do something you don't want to do. It's easy to obey when it leads to promotion. It, it's easy to obey when it leads to a spouse. Will you obey when you get mocked? Will you obey when it costs you something? Will you obey if you have to suffer? And that's the challenge. That's what makes Christianity so difficult, that Jesus sometimes asks us to do things that we don't, our flesh doesn't want to do, our friends don't want us to do it, our parents don't want to do it, us to do it, but he's asking us to do it. Yeah. And there are a lot of people in this room that, that claim to love Jesus. And we can look at your church attendance, we can look at how often you worship or how often you give, and all those things are good, and you should do them. But the one way that the scriptures say, this is how you love God. This is how you express it. This is how you give it to Jesus. It's obedience. And it's a challenge. And I, I remember sometime when, when I was 14 years old, my, my mom, she gave birth to my younger sister. She was definitely the oops baby, right? 14-year <laughs> gap. Well, mom, what's up? I remember, I remember being, it was like January, it was October, my eighth grade year, going to the hospital, El Camino. I was so angry, I didn't even want to go in the room and like see the baby. And then things got crazy when my mom had to go back to work. I'm like, she's like, you need a baby. So I'm like, mom, I think we have a problem here. And if you don't know anything about Persian parents, they don't talk the way that white people talk. Just putting it out there. I'm not being racist. They're like, hey, I made you. I can kill you. I can make another one of you. That's how Persian parents talk to their kids, right? And they're like, we don't have a problem. You have a problem. 
you're going to babysit this kid. I'm like, mom, I don't want to. And my mom looked at me and she appealed not to my desires. She's like, Allie, do you love me? I was like, mom, oh. <laughs> of course I love you. Then babysit your little sister. That's what following Jesus looks like. There are times that you don't want to do it. Your flesh doesn't want to do it. Your bank account doesn't want to do it. Your free time doesn't want to do it. And he's going to say, but do you love me? And the way that you express love back to him for the cross, because it's radical love for us. But how do we respond? The reasonable response, God's avocado toast, is obedience. Someone say obedience. I want to teach you about obedience this morning. How do you and I love God? Number one is this. Obedience starts as an option. If you are a follower of Jesus, I'm challenging you this morning. If you're not, you can just listen, maybe Instagram or Facebook, or if you're super spiritual, fantasy football, come on. We, we've considered putting a ticker on the bottom of the screen, but we don't want to do it. It, it starts as an option. Because when you become a Christian, God doesn't like program you to obey, 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 obey. And it's like, free or it's like easy you're still ratchet you're just forgiven you have to choose to follow jesus the same way that you had to choose to make him your savior and every time you have a choice to obey you have a choice to disobey and disobedience lies to you like laker fans come join us it's easy over here and it, honestly disobedience is always easy on the front end it is havoc on the back end Disobedience will whisper in your ear, do this right now. You don't want to do that. If I can speak for a moment to all the parents in this place who, who have kids who, you, who love going to the gym. There's this pain that we have. We want to go to the gym, but we can't. We have a job from 9 to 5. Then we have to pick up our kids. We have to be present till 8 o'clock. And when we were single, we'd go to the gym at night. And now, the only time parents have time to go to the gym is either they have a job that allows them to work from home or they have to wake up when the devil's asleep at 5 a.m. Right? So what do you do when you want to go to the gym? You have to set an alarm at 5 a.m. And that thing will whisper sweet nothings in your ear. I don't know who invented the snooze button. We need to put this person in prison. Okay? And why is it nine minutes long? You hit snooze once, your day's over, you're gone. It's like just call in sick by that point. But in the morning you're tired and you don't want to wake up. That thing's like, just sleep in. It's funny though, because you'll go to the gym for an hour. You'll come out sweating, full of endorphins. And no one says, why did I waste my, someone give me a bag of chips. I, that was a waste of time. But in the moment, disobedience will whisper in your heart, in your ear, just do this. Come on. And so, it's so challenging for us because we want the easy way out. We, we want what, what's easy. What, what's easy on the front end is often havoc on the back end. And if you're in this room, I need to challenge you as a pastor for a moment. There are many of you in this room, you have two choices, obedience or disobedience. And there are some of you in this room as a follower of Jesus. I'm talking to the Christians for a moment because this is going to be challenging for you. You live in blatant disobedience. You're full of greed. You're full of pride. You're full of weed. You're full of alcohol. You're full of cussing. You're full of anger. And you choose to live that way because you think God's cool with it. And what it reveals is that you have a broken view of God. I wrote like this. If you know it breaks God's heart, why do you think it will fulfill yours? God has avocado toast. 
It's obedience. God's not Santa Claus where he's looking to find out who's naughty or nice. I know some of you are like super like smart. You have PhDs and master's degrees and you read the scriptures and you're like, some of these rules are archaic. I have a, a degree. I, I'm smarter than God. And then you pick and choose the parts that you want to obey. I know you're smart, but let me tell you, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He, he's different. And, and, and I wrote down like this, you're cool with Jesus being your savior, but you're not cool with him being your Lord. You want what he gives, not what he says. You want his blessings, not his commands. And it's easy to celebrate God's love for us. But there's only one response. Because even the demons know that Jesus loves us. But the demons don't obey. And what separates us from non-believers is not that we have more character or more moral. is that we do things that Jesus tells us to do. And that's the challenge. And that's hard to hear, right? Oh, some of us feel conviction. But I have to be your pastor in this moment. I have to challenge you out of your brokenness, out of your disobedience. Not because I gain anything out of it. But I have to tell you, disobedience is a choice. You, you have to want it. And I wrote down like this. If you're, that when you have the right view of God, that he's not some cosmic killjoy, that he's not some old man in heaven trying to take all away your fun, but he is what Romans 8.32 says. He's the God who not only gave his son, but wants to give us all things. That if he's willing to die for us, then the, his no is, is, is my best. And even if I want this thing and he says no, that means there's something better coming. That, 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 that phrase you saw, the best is yet to come, is not some hype. It's theology of a good God who loves us. And every time we disobey, it's not because God's not good. It's because we don't see him as good. I wrote down like this. You need to see this. His commandments are not burdensome. They're only burdensome when you're not a believer. It's on the screen. Next slide. His commandments are not burdensome. When you're a follower of Jesus, they're not a burden. They're a blessing. And religion will tell you, try harder. Love God more. The scriptures are so different. It's grace. It's backwards. If you look at any of the epistles outside of the four gospels, Ephesians, Romans, all the Johns, any of the epistles, there's what's called orthodoxy and then orthopraxy. Pastor Ali, I went to public school. Break it down for me. I'm trying. <laughs> Theology and then right living. Before God ever asks you to do anything, he wants to tell you what to think. Because the way that you think determines how you live. And the first half of any of the epistles is just God's declaration. I love you. I love you. I love you. And then there's a shift. Therefore, if you understand my love for you, live this way. So if you're not living for Jesus, you need a greater revelation, not of your obedience, but of his love. That you would be like, John, I'm the one whom Jesus loves. That was my hashtag for a year because I wanted to be saturated in it. And it changed my life when my identity was not software engineer, not ridiculously good looking Persian. All the things that we self-identify as, I'm loved by Jesus. That's my identity. And when you adopt his identity, your behavior begins to change. So if you're not living for Jesus, who are you? Do you know that you're a child of God? 
I don't need to yell at you. I don't need to condemn you. I don't need to shame you. I need to remind you whose you are. Your identity is loved by Jesus. God has a love language, and it's obedience. Number two, if you want to write this down, obedience blesses and is a blessing. It's both. Not only does it bring him glory, it benefits you. When you understand that God's love language is obedience, do you realize when I obey, I'm blessing my dad? My wife is so good at this. I'll go on business trips uh, to different parts of the country to learn from different churches, to learn from different pastors. And I'll usually have to leave like super early in the morning. I'll kiss my girls when they're asleep. I'll grab my suitcase and I'm out the door. And then I'm usually on the airplane when I open up my suitcase or my, my travel bag and I'll find a love note. Not for my sexy wife, but for my kids. And she'll encourage them to write to me. And my three-year-old, she just draws three colors, and that's her way of saying I love you, right? <laughs> the six-year-old, though, she actually, she actually writes words. Like, God, I, Dad, I love you. You're so smart. You're like my favorite parent. <laughs> <laughs> totally kidding. She wanted to... If you want to hear Pastor Yasmin make fun of me, you encourage her to preach. This is me trying to encourage her to shut me up. But when you have the mic, you can say anything you want. And now imagine, I'm 30,000 feet in the air. I'm like, how is there construction dust in this airplane? Tears are coming down. I'm like, I'm not crying. You're crying, right? And I'm so blessed because my wife knows my love language is words of affirmation. You have an opportunity to bless God. It's with obedience. And God has so rigged obedience, not only does it bring him glory, listen, he's enabled it so it blesses you. It changes your life. Watch this in 1 John 5 verse 4. It says, for everyone born of God overcomes. Someone say overcomes. Overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. That word overcome is talking about your calling, your purpose in life. Your calling is not to make money. It's to be a follower of Jesus. Your calling is not to just be a CEO, but to be an honest CEO. The goal of life is not to make money. The goal is not to look like Jeff Bezos or anyone on Instagram, like that, that, that dude, Jeff Bl Dan Blizzering, who's like always on yachts and he's gambling. That's not the goal of life. The goal is to look like Jesus, not just to be a CEO, but to be an honest CEO. What does it gain a man? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but to lose his soul? The scriptures are clear. Who you are is more important than what you do. And the context of overcoming is in the context of obedience, that there's a calling on your life. And you don't get there by cheating and lying. There are so, I, I know so many Christian friends that will fudge their resume to say a skill that they don't have. Because they want that job. Or they'll change their taxes because they want more money in their pocket. And they're not overcoming. They're lying and stealing to get what they really want. If I were to ask you, where are you not content in life? Where are you most dissatisfied? That's the area where you are most tempted to not obey. Yeah. It's the area where you will secretly lie and steal. Well, Pastor Ali, everyone in my field has to give little white lies to make the sale, but you don't have to. Yeah. But it will hurt me. That's the point of obedience. Yeah. Will you obey even if it hurts you? Because yeah. you believe God will overcome. Right. Uh, my wife and I, we, 
we have a bucket list of places we want to go. And last year we went to one of those bucket places, Palm Springs. Amazing. I love it. It's, it's called the, the, the city of snowbirds. Anybody here ever hear this term, snowbirds? Because old people live there and then they leave during the summer. And they go to somewhere where it's warmer. But I love it because there's no one there. And we rented an Airbnb during COVID and had it with our kids. And on the way back, we went with another family. It was my brother-in-law. Anybody in this room competitive? No spirit-filled people. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But I was driving on the five. We're like six, seven hours away from home. And my brother-in-law gave me this look. And men can have nonverbal communication. And we know it's on. And for the next six hours, it was a race to get home, right? Like, I don't need Adderall to focus. I just need competitive options, right? So imagine we're, we're maybe going over the speed limit, but no one's really counting, right? We're, we're weaving in for five straight hours. My wife is freaking out. She's trying to calm me down. I'm like, honey, I would rather die than lose to my brother-in-law. Because every Thanksgiving, I'm going to hear it from him. And... I'm winning. We're on the 152, about to hit the 101. You know where it becomes two lanes to one, right? And there's 100 cars. And I, I go 100 past them. And I get in line, and I give them my spirit fingers, tell them I'm number one, right? <laughs> and you think he would accept defeat. He goes on the shoulder <laughs> and cuts 100 cars up, and everyone is giving him the middle finger. And I'm like, if anyone wants to know his address, I can give it to you. <laughs> and that's what some of you look like spiritually. Instead of getting in traffic and waiting on God, you make your own way. Some of you need to learn to wait in the traffic of your tribulations. Some of you need to learn to wait in the traffic of your obstacles. Because like Eugene Peterson says, it's long obedience in the same direction that changes you. Often God's best thing they can give you is a no, not yet. Because your character can't handle what you really want. And when you obey, listen, it not only blesses God, it changes your character. It's a blessing to you. And some of you, you're circumventing the, the process that God wants to change. The goal is not to be rich. The goal is to be godly. The goal is not to win, even though I really want to win. The goal is to do it with integrity with honesty, I wrote down like this, why don't you obey your way into your destiny? You don't need to lie and steal and cheat your way to the top. God, this is what I love about God. He's no respecter of persons. Doesn't matter if you're smart, tall, short, male or female, the people that God uses the most are the most obedient. I love Rick Warren. He says this quote, he, he was at a pastor's conference, and they asked him this question, why did God give you the book Purpose Driven Life? It made $30 million. He's in a room full of pastors. He says, because God trusts me more than all of you. Can God trust you? God asked you to jump. Would you say how high? God said run. Would you say how far? Because sometimes we... We argue with God. No, but I know better, Jesus. But he sees around the corner. He knows what's best for you. And there's an option in front of you. It's always obedience or disobedience. And God is so wired obedience. Not only does it bless him, but it blesses you. 
Number three, if you're taking notes, is this. Obedience becomes an overflow. Becomes an overflow. When you obey your way in the kingdom, what changes is it, it changes you. And what was very challenging in the beginning becomes easier and easier. When God says, do something, Ali, it's easy for me now. Whereas in the beginning, I was stu- I'm still stubborn, by the way. But in the, in the beginning, it was harder. And I want to encourage some of you. I want to reveal something about the scriptures that make Christianity. It's not about your willpower. Watch what it says in 1 John 5, verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? The one who believes. Someone say believes. That Jesus is the Son of God. That word believes is the Greek word trust. What he's saying is that when you begin to walk with Jesus, in the beginning it's hard because your trust level with him is low. But the more you trust, the more you surrender and the more you obey. I wrote down like this, obedience is less about trying and more about trusting. When God told me to become a pastor of a church for unchurched people, it was not the first time he asked me to do something crazy. It was when I was 27 that he said, Ali, will you give me your vacations? And that, to me, was the biggest ask he could do. I said, okay, I'll, I'll give it to you. And then I gave him more. And then I gave him more. And people say, hey, Pastor Ali, why did you start a church? I'm like, because I've been trusting him little by little. Why did David kill Goliath? Because David walked with Jesus. And he killed the bear. And he killed the lion. And then he killed Goliath. God wants to give you more. But will you obey when it's small? Jesus says, will you be faithful with little? So I can be, will you be faithful with much? And he won't give you the much until you prove you're faithful with the little. And I'm telling you, when you walk with Jesus, it gets easier and easier. And I realized this when Pastor Yaz and I first started dating. I told her about my father, how our relationship was broken, that I, I didn't respect my dad, but I definitely feared my dad. And for Pastor Yasmin, it was the opposite. He was this godly man that he respect, that she respected him, but she never feared him. I'm like, then why do you obey him if you're not afraid? She's like, because he loves me at my worst. See, Pastor Yasmin, as a, in middle school and high school, she was a little bit rebellious. Pray for me, he's still there. And she would have these debates with her dad. I want to do this. And he'd say, no, you got to do that. And she wouldn't listen. And most dads would yell and hit their... He was always there with open arms. Because his love for her wasn't based on what she did, but who she was. And she told me, the more I messed up, the more I trusted my dad. It's the same with Jesus. You can trust him. He didn't leave you when you were in the club. And the cross didn't just die for your sins yesterday, but your sins today and the things you haven't even done yet. He knows them and he still loves you. But you got to trust him. And it's easy for me to get up here and it's like, trust Jesus. 
Try, try, try. But there's a deeper level. It's trusting him. That he's a good dad. That he really wants the best for you. Why is Jesus our joy? Because he was willing to die for us. To give us the best option. Has to come from your heart. Not your flesh. Has to be your greatest desire to want to obey him. Not some discipline where you work harder. It says it like this in Proverbs. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flow, flows from it. One translation say, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Jesus says, the words that you speak come from your heart. Your obedience comes from your heart. comes from a place of trust. And for those of you that are maybe challenged that you want to give Jesus more obedience because you want to give him his love language. Let me brag on Jesus for a second. Did you know that he loved you with your love language? My love language is words of affirmation, which is why I'm always complimenting my wife. You're cute. You're amazing. She's like, oh my gosh, stop. Because that's how I feel loved, but I want to give it to her. But God loved you in your love language. See, some of you in this room, your, your love language is words of affirmation. And God said it in, in the book of Proverbs, Psalms. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're his son and daughter. Some of you in this room, it's, it's acts of service. God left heaven, became a man, was born in a dirty manger. Celebrities travel with private planes and escalates. Jesus' mom was on the back of a donkey. He did that work for you. Some of you in this room, your love language is gifts. You were purchased not with silver and gold, but with the blood of Jesus. Some of you, your love language is physical touch. What I love about the book of the Bible, it says that the God inhabits the praises of his people. Most of my high school friends are non-believers. They say, why do you believe in an invisible God? I say in the same way that a blind person, they've never seen the sun, but they've felt the warmth of it. There's something that happens in this room that you feel the presence of God. Some of you, your father has never loved you to hug you, but God hugs you when you're in this room. Some of you, your love language is quality time. What I love about Jesus, you don't have to have a, just worship him for an hour on Sundays. You can worship him in the shower on Mondays. You can worship him in the club on Fridays. Some of you are that wretched. God is so good. So God is so faithful that he loved you based on your love language. And because of his radical love, my challenge to you as a pastor is will you give him his reasonable response? His avocado toast. Obedience. If you bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Lord, that you are our Christ. You're our Savior. God, our problem is not money or the environment. All those things may be real, but our greatest problem is sin, Jesus, which is why I'm so thankful that you're my Savior. But God, you're not just my Savior, you're my Lord. I don't want to just be comfortable with what you did for me. I want to give you back thanks. I want to show you love after all the love that you've shown me.
God, thank you for making it clear. I don't have to guess what you want. Same way that my wife wants avocado toast. Jesus, you want obedience. God, help me obey you. Not to earn your love, but to say I love you. God, show me those areas in my life where I'm blatantly disobedient and I think you're okay with it. God, I want to bless you. I want to show you I love you. God, help me. God, help me grow in my trust for you. There are times, God, where I want to obey, but I'm afraid. I have anxiety. I feel like I'm missing out. God, help me replace the lie with the truth that you're good, that you have the best for me. There are others of you in this room. You can't give love until you've received it. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with a person. And this God loved you before you ever knew who he was. And he wants a relationship with you. You don't need to do anything. You just need to simply believe. That's the work of a Christian, by the way, to believe in the work of the cross. And in a moment, I want to pray for some of you in this room to start a relationship with this living God. His name is Jesus. She's excited about it. You should be too. <laughs> with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, maybe you felt his presence. Maybe you didn't understand the gospel until today. Maybe you recognize your need for a savior. He wants to save you. On the count of three, one, two, three, would you be willing to shoot your hand up if that's you this morning? Amen, amen. Put your hand down. Just pray this prayer, all of you out loud. Thank you, Jesus, that you left heaven for me. Thank you, Jesus, for the free gift of salvation. Thank you for loving me in my love language. I repent. I turn from my sin. And I follow you. I obey you. I worship you. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Help me follow you all the days of my life. Can we give it up for the few hands that went up? For some of you, I want to encourage you to take your next step. Once a month, we do this thing called Growth Track. I want to, this is your church, and when you want to take your next step, just fill out this card. We'd love to help you take that step. Others of you, it's, it's time to stop doing life alone and do it in community. We, we gather in groups called Collective Nights. And others of you, it's, it's time to go public with your faith. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to do baptisms again this year because we have people signing up. And if you're one of those people, I want to help you go public with your private faith. Faith yeah. begins in private, but then has to go public. Yeah. Let me just pray for the offering, and you guys can stand, and Ethan and the worship team will lead us. Whoa. Thank you, Jesus, that every good and perfect gift comes from you. God, we offer you our lives. We offer you our tithes and offerings, God, as a, not as a way to get your love, but as a way to say thank you for your love. Yeah. It's our reasonable response because of your radical love. And if you believe that, everybody said... 
Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you want to follow us on social media and just stay up to our current events, our social media handle is Bold Church SV. That's Bold Church SV for Silicon Valley. We hope you stay blessed and we'll see you soon.